Amen, and thank you again, Larry and worship team, for leading us so well this morning. In Christ's earthly ministry, I think it's fair to say that, that if you've read the Gospels, that, that he's not really a big fan of the scribes, of the Pharisees, and of the Sadducees. Each had a place in their religious life of how they interpreted the law and tried to apply it around the, the times of Christ. But most often, Jesus spoke against the Pharisees. And he did this for several reasons. But but one of them was because they loved to burden the people with all sorts of laws. Jesus puts it this way in Matthew 23. They, They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear. And they lay them on people's shoulders, but, but they themselves, that is the, the Pharisees, are not willing to move them with their finger. Now the Pharisees weren't doing this out of love for their brothers. It's not why they were laying on them heavy burdens. But they did this, Jesus tells us, so that they would be seen by others. Meaning, the the reason that they created all of these rules, all of these regulations, and so on, was so that they would receive the praise of man and ultimately have control over their lives. Many would describe them as legalists. All sorts of rules, all sorts of regulations that they're doing in order to try to earn favor with God. And by creating a system of works that was incredibly heavy, the the people were weighed down. Ironically, Christ even points out how they, they create all these rules, all these regulations. They preach, but they do not practice. They create these laws, not not to help folks out, But they wanted the praise, they wanted control, and they don't even live the way that they say you ought to live. So Christ, when talking to them at the end of this chapter, concludes, Outwardly you appear righteous to others, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Yikes! Talk about some strong words from Jesus. And as he even hits them with a bit of an ironic zinger there at the end. You're you're trying to create your own law, but the effect is you have become lawless in your attempts to create your own law. Sometimes we just have this view of Jesus, passive, happy Jesus. That's not necessarily the view that we always get from the Bible. You can see from this passage right here, he's downright angry at the legalists of his day. And that's because those of the kingdom of heaven have always had and and should always have a strong aversion to works-based legalism. Even before Christ, John the Baptist had such a a strong view. He would say this when he saw many of the Pharisees and, and Sadducees coming to his baptism. He said to them, you brood of vipers. Just imagine if I got up here on Sunday morning and said that to y'all. You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee of the wrath to come? 
bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Don't presume to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to raise up these stones to raise them to children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Even now, every tree, therefore, that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So Christ, he rails against this type of activity during his earthly ministry on a regular basis. Now, I don't know anyone who goes around calling themselves a legalist. They put it on their shirt, I'm a legalist. Often the term is misused and, and misapplied and, and used as an attack on someone's character. But even if the term is often misused and, and misapplied, that doesn't negate the reality of its existence today, both inside and outside of the church. There, there are religions like Islam and, and Mormonism that, that teach that you can earn your salvation. But there's also folks who attend churches that fall into that exact same camp of being a legalist. And this morning, we're going to study legalism as the impossible means of favor with God. See, we've been working our way through the book of Galatians as we've considered our theme for this spring of faithfully following the true gospel. Because we want to be a church that knows the gospel forwards and backwards and and how to live it in our lives. And what we have seen is the core of that gospel message is that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by through faith. In Jesus Christ. There have been several arguments that Paul uses to get his point across. And today we're going to tackle another of the outcroppings that that can manifest itself in the life of the church. And that's legalism. Legalism, just so we're on the, the same page here, is one's attempt to please God by obeying the works of the law. And the reality is it can take many forms, and it's something that the church has battled for so long. Pastor John MacArthur would say it this way, the church has always faced the danger of legalism because the inclination of our flesh is to always live for its own purposes in its own power. And if we're honest with ourselves for a moment, it's okay to be honest In the church house on Sunday morning. Is that that true? Conservative churches in the United States like ours. From time to time. Have struggled with legalism. We've struggled with it. Because of the idea that we have this view. Of how the world. How society. How churches should look. and, And we think it should be ordered in a certain way. And then and only then can we be pleasing to God. And so, in years gone by, stories that have been told in countless churches of how certain things were elevated from preferences to to the righteous demands that the Bible gives. And I realize for some here today, all sorts of reasons, this might be a very sour topic. And my hope today for us as we look at this passage is that we will see that legalism 
man's attempt to create and obey certain rules that it can never truly earn God's favor. Now, before we get too far, though, I want to make myself clear, even though I've done it a few times before, that is not a ringing endorsement of antinomianism, the belief that God's law has no place in Christian living. If you thought I was making up that word, because I've used it before, it's actually the, the same word that when Christ says that they are lawless in Matthew 23, 28, that we just saw, that is the same exact word word, anti-nomos, Greek word for law. Meaning there tends to be two ditches that churches tend to swerve into. One is legalism, that we can create and erect all sorts of laws to earn God's favor. And the other ditch is antinomianism, that God doesn't care how we live. Both ditches are wrong Both ditches are dangerous. But our text here today is not addressing the evils of antinomianism. It is addressing the evils of attempting to earn our favor with God. It's addressing legalism. So follow along with me as I read in Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 7, all the way through verse 14. We're going to start in verse 7, even though we've studied them, just to get a, a running start in the logic here this morning. It's the word of the Lord. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the the man of faith. Now, our passage here this morning. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, And do them. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. But Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus... The blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So the word of the Lord. We're looking at legalism, the impossible means of favor with God. And the first point from our text is the demand of the law is all or nothing. When you're trying to justify yourself, there can be truly no middle ground. For all who rely on the works of the law are cursed. For it is written, cursed be everyone who doesn't abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, before we get too far, let's maybe identify a couple of terms and where we're at in this citation of the Old Testament. When he writes the book of the law, when we're reading that, he's talking about the the first five books of Moses, often called the Pentateuch. And Paul here is citing Deuteronomy 27, 26. Deuteronomy is the last of those five books, and it literally means the second law. 
So, so if you've ever read through that book and you've thought, man, this, this one's a little bit repetitive, it is. It's the second giving of the law. Because Moses, after, in his own words, had carried the children of Israel for 40 years, is about to die. And he re-gives the law at the end of his life. And he charges the children of Israel to, to obey this law of God, not as a means of saving them from their sins, but as a means of living by faith and trusting in God. And what he does then is he details the curse that would come if, if people pursued foreign gods, and oh, is that quite a section. Now for us, sometimes when we read the demands of the law, it can be a bit confusing, and we can struggle with it. Since we're being honest in the church house here this morning, I think all of us at one point in our lives, when we read Genesis 3, at some point in our lives we said, hold on. The whole universe is plunged into all of this over one act of disobedience? The first couple, they eat one piece of fruit. And now we get this. We've got death. We've got destruction, we've got wars and famine, drugs, crime, rape, so on, all because of this? And the answer is yes. Yes, one act of rebellion sets all of humanity on the trajectory that we have today. Because the logic of the law is you have to uphold the entire thing, not just one piece of it. It's sort of like telling the judge at your murder trial, well, your honor, I always at least filed my taxes faithfully every year. He doesn't really care how honest you were with your 1040s. The law is not about how much of it you can obey. It's about the fact that every mistake means that you're guilty of violating the entire thing. And Paul's argument is, if you violate even just, just one piece of that, then you're culpable for it all. So, so then how does legalism fit into the picture? As we saw in our introduction, legalism is the attempt to create and then apply certain rules in our life to earn God's favor. But, but there's always a double standardness to it. It talks about obeying the law, but in reality, it's not. It says that these things are God's law, but, but in reality, they're just man's law. And Paul is really clear about this. He says the law is about doing stuff. The law is not about faith. The law is about the one who will live and abide by them. But that's not what ends up happening. So, so if you went back to Matthew 23 again for a moment, obviously we're not going to study the whole passage here today. In the middle of Jesus decrying the evils of legalism, he, he tries to point out the, the double standard nature of the legalist. And he says, you're a blind guide. Look, you're, you're straining the gnat and you're swallowing the camel. His point being that you're obsessed with the little things of life, but you're, you're missing the massive, most obvious ones. 
and you're just making it up as you go. He puts it this way, and you say that if anyone swears by the altar, that means nothing. But if you swear by the gift that is on the altar, then you're bound. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? The answer is obvious. They're making it up as they go. They're focused on the wrong things. And so, what we're trying to say, Paul is trying to say here, there are two characteristics that we see in legalists. One, they're selective of what rules they apply, and they make up their own rules as they go. And from the law, the demand is it's all or nothing. You can't have it both ways. And by seeing that the law is all or nothing, my hope is that we will see how bad and evil it is to attempt to justify ourselves by the law. So let me ask some reflection questions then here this morning. Do you have areas in your life that goes beyond what the Bible teaches And you attempt to control others and get their praise. Historically, as I mentioned, the church has struggled with this all kinds of ways. There there was a day when what type of clothes that you wore to church on Sunday was a really big deal. Or that if you had a tattoo on your body, that, that was a really big problem. Or if you did certain recreational activities on Sunday, that was an issue. Or what sort of musical instruments were on stage, that mattered. Or what sort of Bible translation that you used, that was a big deal. Or how long was your hair, that was a really big deal. The list would go on and on. And the point that the passage is trying to make here is that that if you live by the law, you got to live by the entirety of the law. And you can't just be making it up as you go and then selectively applying it to yourself. The law is an impossible way to please God. So then when it comes to righteous living, how do we think through this? Let me give you a chart that I use that I think is very helpful for us to consider this morning when it comes to living. There tends to be, in life, five categories of decision-making. Two of those categories are, are righteousness and sin. And in the Bible, we find everything that we need in order to determine is something righteous or sinful. Meaning, you're not going to get up in heaven one day at the judgment seat of Christ, and God's going to say, well, well, there was a whole lot of things that I wanted to fit in there, but it was getting a bit long. We already had 66 books, but, but there's a whole bunch of things that you didn't do that you were supposed to have done. That's not going to happen, right, guys? You have everything that you need today to determine is a decision righteous or sinful. But not every decision is righteous or sinful. Sometimes the decisions that we have to make, it's about wisdom and foolishness. And the Bible provides you and me with some principles to guide us there. But most of the decisions 
around wisdom and foolishness, the Bible is silent on. And then the Bible is silent on the category of preferences altogether. Preferences like, are are we going to go to Culver's after church or are we going to go to Burger King? I don't think that's a preference at all, but you know. And the point being, what often happens in legalists is they want to move preferences to the left. They want to make those things righteous sin issues and do some great exegetical gymnastics in the Bible to make it say what their preferences are. There's nothing wrong with preferences. But there's definitely something wrong with elevating your preferences and calling them righteous and sin. There's nothing wrong with saying the Bible is silent on this decision for wisdom and foolishness. But there is something wrong in trying to elevate it to a different category. Just so we're clear, what antinomianism folks do is is they look at what the Bible teaches in the categories of righteousness and sin, and they try to scoot them to the right and call those things preferences. Things that the Bible reveals really clearly and say, no, actually the Bible is quite silent. Both positions are equally wrong. And so today, as you consider the weightiness of this passage... As you examine your life this week, I'd encourage you to ask, are there areas in your life that you're doing what the Pharisees did? Are you selectively applying the passages? Are you scooting things from preferences to to righteousness and sin? Because if you're doing that, the result is a curse. When a person is trying to live by the law, be it the Old Testament Mosaic law or or the law that they've made up in their own mind, the eventual result will always be a curse. Now, when when we think about a a curse today, don't don't think about voodoo magic. That's not what the Old Testament, that's not what the New Testament has in mind when it says that. I mentioned earlier Deuteronomy 27. That's where Paul is citing these various passages. And and God lays out in those passages the, the various results, the curses that will come by not obeying God's law. For example, he says this in Deuteronomy 28, 1, the Lord will make the pestilence stick to you until he has consumed you off of the land that you're entering and take possession of it. So one of the results of not worshiping the one true God is that pestilence would come. Or else, the defeat of their enemies in battle. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You'll go out one way against them, and you'll flee seven ways before them, and you shall become a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. And if you know your Bible history... That's exactly what happened to the children of Israel. Uh, They forsook the worship of the one true God. He promised that he'd curse them. He promised he'd bring divine judgment on them. Even told them very specifically, here's what they will be. And they didn't listen. So Paul is bringing their attention back and saying, look, if you're trying to rely on the law... 
You're, you're not going to get blessings. You're going to get a curse. Because trying to live according to the law will bring that for, if you're trying to justify yourself. For us today, then, I believe the text is showing the, the futile nature of legalism and its many dangers. If we go back to just some of those common issues that the church historically struggled with, when the church made its own laws about right living, those things like haircuts and dress and so on, when the church did that, did it see the blessings of the Lord? Meaning, did the church see holy living increase when it required young men to have short hair? No. Did the church see conversions take place when they asked individuals to cover up their tattoos? No. Did the church receive and experience revival by prohibiting certain styles of music? No. In fact, what the church experienced was a a powerful decline. Why? Because the church had created their own law and they had a curse. Church, I hope and I pray that we would see that no amount of legalism can ever save a church. We'll never be able to be pleasing to God. No amount of elevating what the Bible calls preferences, and again, preferences by themselves are not bad things, but no amount of elevating those and calling them God's law is ever going to lead to a productive church for God. It will just lead to a curse. And so, if you find in your heart today a tendency to want to try to control the world around you, by the creation of sorts of rules and elevating those in place of God's rules, and then just know, beloved, that will only cause you pain. It's not only true in the life of the church, it's true elsewhere, for example, in our homes. Perhaps the, the work of parenting is one of the most easiest ways to see that, where, where legalism begins to crop in, or creep in. And parents, we have to make all sorts of rules to to govern and try to lead our children. Things that we're allowed to do, things that are good and right. But but one of the dangers is we want to elevate those things and call them God's rules. It's what many in the parenting world would call a parent-centered home. Confusing parents' rules with, with God's rules. An excellent resource that can help many who are parents here in our church family think about this is a book called The Heart of Anger by Lou Priolo. It has excellent tools to help us see, are you creating a legalistic, parent-centered home, or are you swinging into the other ditch for a moment, the antinomianism, no-law, child-centered home? We want to be people, both in our lives here at the church and in our homes, that that aren't creating man-centered rules, but we're trying to live right where the Scriptures have us. And what the Scriptures tell us is, ultimately then, that legalism, it will be and it is undone by a humbled and humiliated Savior 
Paul transitions the argument this way. Now it is evident, right? It's obvious. It's really clear. That's what he's saying. No one's justified before God by the law for the righteous. Going back to Abraham, the righteous shall live by faith. Which is why he would ultimately conclude this type of argument telling them it's Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Let's make sure we understand our terms here really quick. Jesus becomes a curse. And he did this not just by the process of being hanged on the cross. That is shorthand for everything that the cross represents. And we discussed it before. That's substitutionary penal atonement. Substitutionary, he, he stands in your place, penal, bearing all of the consequences and atonement, making you right with God. Jesus satisfies the wrath of God by standing in your place, bearing it all. And the result is, if you are in Christ, if you're a Christian, is you are redeemed. And the word redeemed was commonly used to indicate and describe the purchase of a slave's freedom. In ancient times, all sorts of persons were slaves when, when your nation was conquered or, or you were indebted, often the result was you were sold into slavery until you could pay back all that was owed. And the word that Paul uses here, redeemed, it's that same word communicating the, the purchasing of freedom by an external source and means. And so Christ... For those in him secures their freedom by bearing the effects of the curse of the law. Just, just kind of pause for a moment and consider what the text is saying. For those in Christ, all of the sin that you've ever done in your life, both before this moment and after, all of that sin for you and all of the sin for all of the redeemed, both in the past, the present, and the future, all Christians, all of that was born on the cross by Christ. Not, not just your sin. You couldn't even pay for that. He paid for your sin and everyone else's sin. A heavy price for sure. He bears the entire wrath of God. And it is by faith, not by works, that a person is made right. Just think about the vastly different methods that are being described here. One is that you have to work and you have to do and do and do and do. And the reality is you'll never be able to do enough because every single failure leads to you being culpable for the entire thing. And the other one is that Christ calls for you to trust in His ability, in His work, and His work alone to save you. Uh, the choice is really clear. But then the, the result is, the work is, that, that if you've been redeemed, that you've been saved, then you're not yours. You were bought at a price. And you have, as we studied last week, a new purpose. 
And the life that I now live in the flesh, I I live by faith in the Son of God who, who loved me. And he gave himself for me. So then, when we're trying to make up our own systems, live out legalism in our own lives, when we place that next to the the gospel of Christ, it, it is quickly undone. Many who live in the world of legalism, they, they want to make very little of the cross of Christ. They want to make very little of their redemption from slavery. They want to make very little of Christ's work, which is why Paul, when describing the gospel, would say, look, I preach Christ crucified, but this message is a stumbling block to the Jews who love their legalism, and it's foolishness to the Gentiles. Friend, if you're trying to make your own system, your own legalistic structure to live by, then the cross looks foolish. It is a stumbling block and it will trip you up time and time again. So can I encourage you this week to examine your life and to see how the radical gospel of Christ makes all of these rules that you might be trying to create in your life and the life of others, it makes it look foolish and the gospel of Christ undoes them all. I mentioned parenting briefly earlier. It could be so tempting in that category. But each and every one of us, the reality is we're drawn to one of those two ditches. Either legalism or antinomianism. So we must daily refresh our minds with the gospel. And today, see that there's a dangerous effect by trying to create it. Milton Vincent in his book, The Gospel Primer, would say it this way. According to the scripture, God deliberately designed, it's purposeful, the gospel in such a way so as to strip me of my pride something that often happens in legalism, to to strip me of my pride and to leave me without any grounds for boasting in myself whatsoever. This is actually a wonderful mercy from God, for pride is the root of all my sin. So this week, see that your Savior, he, He died that he undid legalistic systems that so many of us long for, and consider your life. Consider your home. Even, even consider your church. And that if God allowed you to have everything the way that you would want it, would you end up enacting some form of legalism? If so, take heed, take care. Because you shall experience the curse. But the result of living by faith and not trying to earn favor with God, the result is a blessing from God. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. If you're remembering that that promise to Abraham. You might be going back in your mind to Genesis 12, Genesis 15, where God promises Abraham three things, land, seed, and blessing. 
He does it twice to remind him that he's true to his word. And if we are Abraham's children, then like him, we live a life of faith. The Pharisees had messed it up. They had called for a life of works. But by living the life of faith and believing and trusting in Christ, the result is blessing and receiving the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit, as we saw last week, was our down payment. It was our guarantee of a, of a future with God, and, and that was something the early church was excited about, and it's something that we should be excited about too as a church. And the Spirit wouldn't only be used to help us be sure of our salvation, but we would be enabled to, as we even sang about, obey God's Word, and not as a means of earning our salvation, but as a means of proving and finding our joy in it. So, as we conclude this morning, consider the blessings of living by faith. You will receive, you will see the long-promised Spirit. Things like love, joy, and peace will flow from your life. Things that you will not get from setting up your own legalistic structure, but only through a life dedicated to Christ. And that we will see that by living this way, the results of a blessing from God, by, by living by faith, that we, the redeemed, who were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, will one day ultimately be saved. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we offer you thanks. We thank you, Father, because your word is so clear that, that any sort of system that we would try to create to justify, to earn our good favor with you, any system will ultimately come crumbling down. And Father, we confess that it, it is so alluring and so tempting to set up our own legalistic structures to control, to please others. And so, Father, I pray that as we go from here and as we examine our lives, that, that we would be really clear what does your word have to say and that we would live that way and that way alone. And that, Father, as we go from here, that we would see that the life of faith, the life of trusting in Christ and his work on the cross, that that, that is the only way that we truly can be justified. It's in the name of your Son we pray these things. In the name of Jesus, amen.